Well, hi everyone, and welcome back to. Well, I was going to say welcome back, but this might well be the first episode of the Crosswise Podcast. So, welcome to the Crosswise Podcast. I'm James, and we're all about taking a look at technology and looking at it in a reflective manner and looking at some really cool things. My guest today is someone who I have to admit I've admired for a long time. I have also uh, indirectly caused his death on many occasions back in the early 90s. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Stu Cambridge. Hello, and uh, I can forgive you for killing me numerous times. I do walk with a bit of a funny funny walk now because I've got sort of shrapnel in my leg, but uh, I'll forgive you for that one. I, Hello, I, everybody. Yeah, I, I, just wonder, <laughs> I just wonder how many how many times that joke gets told. Um, every, every time I speak to somebody, probably. <laughs> but I often make it myself, so I, sh- I never learn. <laughs> so I guess people are probably wondering at this point how on earth I came to get shrapnel in your leg. Shall we... Do you want to give us a little bit of introduction to who um, where maybe that reference comes from? Because not everyone's going to know, unfortunately. Yeah, all these young listen. whippersnappers who are listening to this yeah. have got no idea. Um, I'm probably most known for a game called Cannon Fodder on the Amiga. Uh, I used to work for Sensible Software, uh, who developed lots of 8-bit games on the Commodore 64, and then they moved on to 16-bit games on the Amiga. Um, and uh, that's, I, I, that's probably the one title that I'm really recognised for which is cannon fodder. And it is, I mean, it holds a lot of very, very fond memories for me. It was one of the games that I spent far too much time playing on my Amiga. I'm, I'm a sequel, to be fair. Mm. Um, both fantastic games. But you're an artist, too, so one of the reasons I wanted to talk to you is to talk a little bit about how design and art has changed so much since back in the 80s when you would first been starting out with Sensible mm. uh, Software. First of all, I guess my, my first question is, what tools did you actually have available? I mean, my... In my mind, I associate Amiga design with deluxe paint, but I'm sure there's far more to it than that. Um, you're spot on. I mean, D-Paint was the go-to sort of application um, that, that I think pretty much most Amiga video game artists used. Um, I mean, I fell in love with the Amiga the first time I saw it on BBC Micro Live when Fred Harris did a, a demonstration of it. And I'd seen it in the press, you know, I'd seen it in the press. And, uh, and you know, I knew I'd wanted one. But when I saw it actually running on the TV on this BBC Micro Live, I thought, that machine's like from the future. And it, it really did feel like it wasn't of its time. It had, it, it had somehow materialised through some kind of time portal and had appeared, you know, in the late 80s. And, uh, and I knew I wanted one. But a little bit of backstory. I mean, my, my interest in computers was, was basically born from uh, when I first got a VIC-20 uh, back in the early 80s. And uh, that's when all the, the home computers were really starting to kind of emerge in the, in the UK. And, um, I, I, you know, I wanted a Commodore 64, really. Um, but my dad had said to me, like, you know, well, why don't, why don't, you know, if you want one, we'll get you something that's not quite as expensive and, and see how you get on. Because if it's only like a five-minute wonder or it's a fad, then, you know, you haven't... You haven't spent loads of money on something because the 64 was quite expensive at the time mm. um so uh I, I i got the vic 20 and and loved it and played lots of games and uh and fell in love with with jeff minter's games i mean they they really were were my kind of inspiration and i think the driving force for me to say like i want to do that as a living i want to be a video game developer and at the time, I'd, I was programming as well. So I'd, I'd got into programming, and I was doing, obviously, pixel art in, a, in its very limited form on those early machines. Um, and I progressed to the 128, where I kind of got into assembler. And I just progressed all the way through until I got the Amiga. So, uh, yeah, it was... It's, um, I mean, the Amiga, 
I mean, the tools back then, I mean, D-Paint really was like the Photoshop of its day. And uh, I, I, I mean, even today, you know, I look back and I think seeing that King Tut mask that was on the, you know, in the magazines, thinking surely that's not a real image from that computer because you look at it and you think that can't really be the because I mean you think at the time we had the Commodore 64 and the Spectrum and they were you know they were good machines for their time but when you put an Amiga screen next to it it's like something from another world so and that's exactly how I felt when I first used one I was like this is this is so futuristic this is so incredible and uh, I don't think I ever looked back fantastic I mean my my first computer was an Amiga it was an Amiga 600 but much maligned 600 I you know I I think we both have a common I, I'd say acquaintance uh, with Neil from RMC mm-hmm. yes and Neil's discord is full of very interesting people and I do remember my absolute disgust when control alt Reese in a RMC live video nearly put a um a table saw to an A600 oh that was just painfully. <laughs> I tell you, the, the thing with the six hundred, and I know it got, it did get quite a lot of flack, um, is the the problem we found is that uh, they changed the configuration slightly, but there was because there was no keypad. If you if you was oh. developing something that needed a keypad, it didn't it wouldn't pick it up obviously because there wasn't one in existence on that machine. Um, I think there was a few little funny changes that Commodore had made, and I know I remember from very vaguely there was some things going down with with the code where we had to test for things to make sure it would work on a 600 because they did change it slightly. But I think the biggest one was this lack of a keypad, you know. And I think some of the flight simulators probably sort of wouldn't run properly on it because they they needed the keypad for certain controls. I seem to remember Falcon having real problems on the 600. Um, yeah. My dad got it, and he was like, how on earth do I play this without a numpad? Yeah. And I think we'd done something where we said, oh, you can use these alternative controls. Mm. But, you know, it was, a, it was a good machine. From a hardware point of view, I, see, I didn't realise it was more beyond it just being a... I think a lot of people describe it as an A500 Plus with the ECS yes. chipset yes. without the numpad, but there's obviously a bit more to it than that. Yeah. It didn't have the sidecar side of things. So it didn't have all the hardware expansion abilities mm. that the 500 series did. And, of course, the 1200 came out yeah. with the um, AGA. Yeah. What from If we take Cannon Fodder as, a, as an example, because it's... Became, but you know, I'm most familiar with, and I'm sure the people who recognise your name are most familiar with who are listening. Can you tell us maybe some of the, the challenges that you guys faced with the graphics for Cannon Fodder, or any little funny stories of how things had to be um, shoehorned in? Maybe. Um, yeah, I mean, the, the 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 biggest change that was made fairly early on for me, anyway, was the size of the tile set. Um, I mean, originally. Uh, I mean, when I first started, this and bear in mind, this is my first real kind of like in-house job, um, and I'd, I'd, I, I, I was so excited to have got to got the job there because I was a big fan of their games beforehand. So you know, I was fans of their '64 games, and I joined just as Megalomania was being finished. So I got to see um, the final stages of development of Megalomania, um, and um, so when I started, I. I I thought I don't know I don't know if I'm like this is imposter syndrome kicking in you know <laughs> yourself am I good enough you know am I how am I going to do this because these guys are like you know rock star game developers and I'm just like you know 
a young boy from, well, I, was, I think I was about 19, 20 when I started. And, you know, I'm thinking, well, what, what am I going to do? So I started doing this tile set, which was a really rubbish graphics, really. I mean, when I look back at that, they were awful. Um, and I did this kind of like moorlands, kind of like grassy tiles, but they were 32 by 32 pixels. And I think we, I don't know if we got them in, um, but then we made a decision. I think Jules had started putting them in, and I think we made the decision that it's probably better to get 16 by 16 tiles in. So that was the real start of the of the actual look that we see today in the game that, that came out, where I then write, okay, let's go back, start it again, um, because we worked out we'd get more variations in the backgrounds if we had 16 by 16 mm. tiles, even though I think it was quicker if quicker for the machine to use 32s, I think something like that. Um, so we 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 got all that in, um, but the one of the challenges that which I was I faced was how do you animate characters so small? You know, and I'd done I'd done a uh, I'd done a game before I worked at Sense called The Executioner, which had had like some really tiny little men jumping up and down. And The Executioner, for anyone who, who who might be interested, is like a thrust style game on the Amiga. And the idea was that you'd go around on different planets and you could you know pick up things and you you pick up these these prisoners and you I think you torture them, but you wouldn't see anything. It was more like hit a button, what you're going to do to him, electrocute him, and it was like that. But in all honesty, that was such a naff part of the game. It would have been better if we'd have developed it just as a thrust game. But in that game, I'd done these tiny little characters, which are like about six pixels high, and they would literally just jump up and down to say, like, rescue me, rescue me. Um, so I'd kind of got an idea of how to animate characters at that sort of size, which I think probably came in handy when i was started cannon fodder although at the time i didn't even think like that i just you just you just did it but the biggest challenge initially was getting these things these, these characters to move because you've got something that's like 12 pixels high and i think their arms were only like two pixels high anyway two pixels long or you know that so you think well how do you do that and uh, i came up with this idea of, of of using the color palette so if a, if a soldier's walking forward like so he's facing the screen and he's walking down the screen, I would use the colour to, to give the impression that the arm is moving forward by making the pixel lighter. And then when it goes back, darken the pixel down and then move it back up one pixel. So you get this kind of... It's, it's a bit of a, a cheat, really, but the eye is forward into seeing this movement going forward and backward, where really the pixel's not moving at all. Um, and I did that for the legs, and I did that for the arms, and it worked. It really worked. Mm. So I used that effect on a lot of other, lot of other sprites. And um, but the the best thing was when we saw those in the game, because the the you know you animating stuff in D paint, and you get them moving around the screen in D paint, and it all looks good. But once they go in the game, they're actually moving around on their own, almost on their own free will. And that was just a magical moment because when Jules got it linked to the mouse and you could click and you could tell them where to go, it's like, wow, these are rich little, these little soldiers are now alive in the game and they, they follow where you tell them to go. And it's just brilliant. It was really, really good. I often look at games like Command and Conquer and always have a little bit of, oh, is there some inspiration from, from Cannon Prodder? Of course, but lineage of, of that game is, if I remember correctly, is Dune 2 from Yumiga. Because uh, yeah. that was a Westwood um, Studios game, but again, the scale of these things, and you know, I remember the uh, not to get too graphic, but you really did feel that when you shot someone, or when one of your characters got shot, typically you, um, <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you know, they actually died, but bl- the 
the gore was believable enough at such a small scale. I mean, all the other—I mean, the, all the other little elements, like the leveling up of the ranks and just the whole graphical style of that game, was unlike anything I'd seen before. Now, you know, as I said, the Amiga was my first machine, but I'd seen other machines, and it was just enticing. And uh, let's not forget the music as well, because that was just perfect <laughs> for that game. Yeah, I mean the graphics. I mean, I, I, I've, I'm a big fan of arcade games, and I mean, growing up in the '80s, uh, I mean, you know, I was, I, I was, a, I was grew up in the '70s, and then when I, I hit my sort of teenage years in the '80s, and the arcades were where all the all the latest stuff came out, you know, all the technology. Um, and I think today it's kind of flipped around where all the late technology tends to appear in the home now rather than in, uh, in arcades. You know, the arcades are pretty much like almost like a nostalgia trip now in some places. So I would be, a, you know, I would be down South End, which is which is where we used to go. Being an Essex boy, you know, I'd, South End was the destination to go to see all the latest arcade games. And uh, I would be so heavily influenced by that style um, of graphics, like some of the Capcom stuff, the Konami mm. stuff, SNK, all those games which were coming out from Japan. I I was like in awe of the, the graphics. And bear in mind, we're going back at the time. I mean, the graphics weren't that great when you look at them now. No. Um, but back then, you know, I mean, Space Invaders came out, and then they brought, out, and then Galaxians appeared, and that mm. had more colours per sprite. And all of a sudden, you had games like Ghosts and Goblins, which had multicolored graphics which were really multicolor um and then games like sidearms and and nemesis and all these sort of all these sort of games come out so i would visit the arcades and i would actually have my face up against the screen looking at the pixels <laughs> to see how many but it, which is really difficult on a crt because you know they blur everything don't they so of course yeah so yeah that's right so i i, I was i was looking at these screens like oh, how do they do how many colors is that got? how many you know how many shades of brown is on on that you know on that dirt or how many shades of green on those trees um but it obviously stuck in my head so um when i did start at sensible even before sensible when i when i started out on the amiga the first thing i wanted to do was create arcade style graphics and i just mm. practiced and brought a portfolio up together and um and and just just kind of honed those skills in creating those graphics i wanted to see and I think that's what was the foundation for what for what Cannon Fodder ended up looking like, was trying to create something that was arcadey, but was still kind of like a strate- strategically sort of placed game rather than being a full strategy game. It was more of an arcadey strategy game. Uh, and that's very much representative in the graphics. Absolutely. Now, before we move on to sort of um, moving into, into now, where mm-hmm. we are with design, there's one thing probably should... I don't know. I don't know if we should mention this on the CD32 version of the game. Mm. There is a wonderful video intro. Oh yes, 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 yes. yes that was fun to do. <laughs> <laughs> it looked a lot of fun. It looked incredible. And of course, now I don't want to dig too much into this, but there's a huge. Wasn't there a huge controversy with the game and the British Legion? Mm. Yes, there was. Uh, I mean, John. John is is far more. Uh, qualified to talk about that than me because uh, I never really got involved in all the poppy stuff. Although I have to say I probably am to blame. <laughs> oh, <laughs> because now it comes out. because when we was doing the the game and we you know we I, I can't remember how the poppy came about. Uh, whether it was like I don't know if John or Chris suggested it. I, I honestly don't know. 
But we had the idea of having a poppy in the game, you know, for the title screen and a representative for those who had fallen in, you know, in mm. battle and um, on the on the medal screen. And because it was at the same time as we was near Remembrance Day, Remembrance Sunday, obviously all the poppy sellers are out, all the, you know, the veterans are out selling poppy. So I just used a poppy from from that and taped it to my monitor, drew the title screen one, drew two more for the uh, the medal screen. Mm-hmm. And that was it. And that was the end of it. Then, of course, um, it somehow got out that, you know, I don't know how, what happened, but it got out that the uh, that the British Legion had seen it or had heard about it and thought we was like, you know, we was taking it quite, yeah, we, we weren't really being very serious about, you know, people who died, and blah, 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 mm. blah. And I think for legal reasons, they said, well, you're using, I think they said, you're using our pop and you can't use it and can you change it? And I mean, I, I might be mistaken because I never got involved in any of that sort of stuff. Um, John did. Um, but anyway, it turns out that we ended up changing the poppy. Yeah. And so I I, I, uh, <laughs> I, I sort of run out the uh, studio very slowly. <laughs> 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 and uh, near where our offices in Saffron Walden, there was quite a few poppies growing like out of bottom walls and fields and stuff. So I found a couple, and um, I went. I think there wasn't that far to walk actually. I think I turned turned around the corner, and there was a few there, and I picked a couple of them off and got back to the office, stuck them to my monitor, and then drew the replacement ones, which were totally different. But at the time, I wasn't very happy about doing it because we was really close to finishing the game. We've been working quite long hours. We're doing, you know, putting some all-nighters quite frequently. Oh, yeah. uh, and the very thought of having to draw another title screen and two more smaller ones at zero hour was like, no, you've got to be kidding me, you know. So, um, so reluctantly, I, uh, I drew. But you know, the, the consummate professional that I am, you know, I, uh, you know, obviously made them look as good as I could, um, as as I always do. But underneath those nice graphics is like <laughs> a lot of moaning and groaning, going, "No, don't want to do it again." But I think yeah, anyone who's ever done design for a client, I mean, <laughs> I, I won't name names, but I've had a recent <laughs> yeah. experience of this where yeah. I've done this to brief. Because it always happens. You get a brief from the client. You design the work to a mm-hmm. brief. And then somebody else at the client says, oh, no, 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 no. You need to throw all of that away yeah. and start over. Yeah. So I absolutely can relate yeah. to that. Yeah. But, I mean, just from a from my perspective, playing it, I never for one second thought that anybody at Sensible Software was taking any sort of um, Mickey out of those who died I actually thought it was a wonderful tribute in the way it was handled, the whole game. And, you know, I always compare it to Blackadder. People don't get too offended at Blackadder. Well, not anymore. There mm. was a lot of controversy yeah. about Blackadder Goes Forth. But when you look at it now, you know, it's a, it's a wonderful show and kind of it is. a great game. It is indeed. It is indeed. I mean, this is the thing. I mean, because, I mean, there's a there's a great um, moment in the development of Cannon Fodder where we had the soldiers in. And originally we was going to have a, a, a first name and a second name, like a forename and a surname in, in for the characters. But there mm. just wasn't enough memory to have two names. And I think the the uh, you know the, the amount of memory needed would have been ridiculous. So we just we went for first names. So when they went in, it was really weird because the dynamic of the game changed literally that moment because all of a sudden you had these names associated with these sprites, and 
you you didn't feel it initially, but when you had somebody who'd been in the game and he, he was like, you know, he survived a couple of missions yeah. and he'd been ranked up a couple of levels and he was like, you know, a captain or whatever. And he died, he got like a grenade or, or whatever, he got shot. You think, oh no, you really did feel like you'd lost mm. lost that character, you know. Um, yeah. And it was really weird because you, 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 I mean, you've got these tiny little sprites which really have got no real character. They're just pixels. They're very small pixels. And there's nothing really there to identify them. But by pairing them with a name, you kind of fill in the gaps. And before you know it, you've got these little characters which have got little identities in your head. And, and so when they're no longer there, and they, also you see their, their memorial on the hill screen, you think, wow, you know. And it kind of brought that home. So at the time, when obviously we was getting all this bad press, it's like, the people writing this bad press just were showing their levels of ignorance because they'd never mm. even played the game. And I think if a lot of these people at the time in the press had actually sat down and played it, they'd have realised that, hold on a minute, this, that's not the message that these guys are giving out. It's actually, you know, quite a sympathetic tone towards war. It is bad, it is horrible, and people do die, you know. Yeah. Um, and But having said that, I mean, the press we got, it didn't didn't damage us. I mean, I think it probably helped us in a lot of ways because it, it brought the attention of the game to many people who, who may otherwise not have heard of it. I, I seem to remember some of the mm. great articles. I mean, I, I was... Until it folded, I, I was a huge fan of the one Amiga. I, it was mm. always at my newsagents. I never had to ask for the cover disc, though. <laughs> it was always there, thankfully. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> <laughs> Love that line. Um, <laughs> so, moving swiftly into the, the future, taking our time machine forward, mm-hmm. um, you're still very much doing art, and mm. I think probably it's fair to say one of the things that I know you for now is the retro... Now, I'm going to get this right. Hang on. It's a bit of a mouthful, isn't it? <laughs> it is a bit, so let's make sure we get this right. The Colouring Book of Retro Computers, yes. Volume 1. I know, it's, it's cool, isn't it? <laughs> Over 30 pages yes. of tech nostalgia. Yes, I mean, it is I've fantastic. So, well. <laughs> oh, yeah, look, yeah, we've we both got ours. I came I've, prepared. I've got my, I've got my, uh, my signed... By yourself. I think your signature is a lot nicer than Neil's, to be fair. Oh, 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 oh the, the check's in the post, all right? The check's in the post. <laughs> cheers, mate, cheers. <laughs> so I guess we should probably, I mean, how did that even come about? Oh, it was it was, it was was one of those things where, I mean, Neil would, I mean, I'd watched Neil's channel for, I can't remember how long it was, I was on and off, I'd watched it for pretty much since he'd started i mean i discovered his channel probably a bit later than a lot of people but i caught up i was i used to have his, his videos on and i thought oh, you know and um one day he, he messaged me to say would you be interested in being on on a, like an interview and on i said yeah and I, and I remember running in to, to my wife saying, oh, i never guess what <laughs> and she had no idea what i was talking about <laughs> So it's like, that's like, you know, so anyway, so I, I, I got on to uh, talking to, to Neil on his retro tea breaks, and uh, I think we did a um, retro discs, island diskettes as well with oh, uh, yes, yeah. Dr. A, you know, with uh, which is good. He's a, you know, that was great. It's fun as well. And I, I, I think I showed my Sega bias with the music tracks I'd chosen, which was not intentional, but it just kind of turned out that way. Um and uh, anyway, so we did that, um, and uh, I did, and then a little bit later, Neil did his um, his the book of for retro tea breaks, and oh, course, um, yes. asked me if I'd be, and I was in it. I was one of the, one of the I was honoured to be in the book, and uh, he asked me if I'd be interested in doing like the profile pictures for like all the people in the book. So I said, yeah, that'd be cool. So I did the pixel portraits of those, 
and uh, that went really, really well. And we had a few backers pictures. We did some of those, and great. And then a little bit later, um, Neil just said to me about, oh, we've got this idea. I want to talk to you about a project. It's all right. He said, well, think about doing a colouring book. And I was like, you what? <laughs> colouring book? Yeah, retro computing colouring book. And I'm thinking, right, okay. <laughs> I mean, it, it, it doesn't exactly... It's not the sort of image I put with a bunch of retro... How to put this... Older retro yes. computer fans. Yes, I know. It, it, it's bonkers, but I loved it. I love the idea because it is bonkers. Yeah. And um, so we got talking and we worked out, you know, a few things. Was thinking, okay, let's just look at this. And uh, we got like a, you know, a, li- a few lists made of what machines we could put in it. And then Mark, who um, a lot of people might probably know Mark. They might see him on some of the videos um, from Retro Group. Uh, he... <laughs> He, I was talking to him, and he said, "Well, I've, I've took some photos of my pet, my Commodore pet." He said, "I've got a really good idea." He said, "We'll take it with the lid open, oh, and then yes. we can show the insides of the machines and the, the case." And from that moment, it all clicked. It was like, "That's it. That's genius idea. What a brilliant idea!" So, thanks to Mark, we've now got the, this foundation of what the book would look like, and all I had to do was draw it. <laughs> <laughs> so we went through and um we we you know i went over to the cave uh took loads i mean it was quite funny because we 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 got all these machines and neil had his screwdriver and he's undoing all the machines and we put trying not to lose and he did he nearly he did nearly lose a screw to i think it was the uh what do you have it's a spectrum or the atari no it's the atari vcs and he lost a screw to the atari vcs and and he's you know and we were looking at what what these insides of these machines are like got loads and loads and loads of reference photos and that was it really and that was last year i started the project and um it, it was just a fantastic project to work on and and for me uh on a personal level it was almost like saying look all these people who just pigeonhole you as like a pixel artist it's like See, I told you. I'm real I could do real art too, yeah, mate. I, yeah. I, I sound like I've got this real chip on my shoulder now, don't I? <laughs> well, I haven't. I really haven't. But it's. it's I mean, just, it is it, the first thing. It is the first thing that Stu said to me in pre-show. Like, <laughs> I'm more than just a pixel artist, you know. <laughs> um, but the thing is, it was great because it was something that wasn't the norm for me. You mm. know, I, I mean, I do illustration work and I do sort of other stuff, but this was much more. P- personal because i love the stuff that's in it you know i've got a real interest in all this retro gear and all the tech so i love it um and then it it, it just progressed onto the sort of style you know when i first did the, the first illustration the, the commodore pet it, it was literally right what sort of look do i want to go for because i know it's going to be line art because it's going to be a coloring book yeah. and i used a piece of software called critter or Krita. i don't know how you pronounce it, it's Krita or Krita, which is open source that i've been using that for probably about I don't know, seven or eight years on and off but it's got a fantastic brush engine and um what i did is i wanted to to create a look that was almost like a photocopied but like old old kind of like manual look with the line art. oh yes like the haynes manual styles yeah but not quite as rugged you know you know you know when you photocopy something too many times you lose the detail mm. and the line edges get a little bit sort of blurry or they get a little bit sort of rough 
I wanted to create that kind of look with the lines, but it was subtle, so it wasn't immediate, you know. So when you look really close, you might see it. So yeah. I created, I, I took one of the existing brushes and I just manipulated a bit to give it a bit of a roughness and that. And I used that pretty much for most of the line art in the book. Um, and uh, it, I, when I sent the first file over, I was thinking, oh, I hope they like it. <laughs> I hope they like it. Oh, you know, I hope this is the sort of thing that everyone had in their heads and what they thought it would look like. And uh, and thankfully, everyone said, yeah, this is great. Um, so I did a did a colour version of the pet as well um, because we had to get the Kickstarter out. So um, and we thought, well, okay, we'll get the get a coloured version out. So I coloured up the pet, and uh, and it hit the Kickstarter. And thankfully, everyone seemed to want it because uh, it re- it did really really well. And the most important thing is it raised enough money for the cave to be finished, you know, and turn it into a proper exhibition space. Um, and and, and that, that was the main driver for the book, was to raise funds for that. And, and to be honest, I, I mean, having, having been to the cave, I think about four times now, I'm in awe every time I walk through the door. I mean, it, it's such an amazing place. It really is. Because you, you were there on Sunday doing the... So for patrons who backed the... Uh, not yeah. patrons, sorry, pledges who'd backed... The, the higher one of the higher levels now i did the i don't mind telling people i did i did the book the digital version the po- and the postcodes and the signed version yes, yes. um but the postcodes by the way for anyone who watches the youtube videos once i get a little bit more of a studio sort of up and running here they will be in the background so do watch out for them but people could back a coloring in the cave day and turn up and in theory in Phoebe, <laughs> colouring in the cave, but that didn't really happen, did it, Steve? No, no. I mean, I did have some colouring pencils on my desk, um, but see, this—the funny thing is—is is that it's like. Um, I mean, I, I was saying this on Sunday. I said it's like walking into Neil's secret man cave that he's, he doesn't know anyone's there, but you're running right because you want to have a go at everything, but you want to have a go before Neil comes back. It's that kind of. And obviously, that's just utter nonsense. But that's in my brain. That's how I see it. It's like oh, look, all this cool stuff. It's like a kid in a candy shop. You're like, oh, this is amazing, you know. Um, and all the machines are working. Mm. So, pretty much, what happened was we had. It was a fantastic day. Uh, it really, really was a great day. And um, everyone just was playing on all the machines, and lots of people were talking. Uh, I'm sure a lot of people knew the, knew each other already from like Discord and, and and just conversing on the internet. People were talking to me, they were talking to Mark, talking to everybody on Neil. Everybody was having a good old chinwag. But the thing is, the colouring, <laughs> the colouring part of it was like, no, 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 that's, we'll leave that. We'll just we'll just go on with talking and and and. You know about all the techie stuff that's there, and and just everything really. It was really really good day. So I think I think as a as a title, coloring the cave really really works. Mm. But practically, I think it probably would have been a bit boring if everyone was sitting down there with their coloring pencils, just quietly coloring around. It's like, mm. like Neil Neil going around like a primary school teacher. Yeah, doing your homework. Exactly. Yeah, you yeah. in, you've, you know? you've gone out the lines. You've gone out the lines. Keep it in the lines, lads. Keep it in the lines. No, not you over there. Um, no, Amiga cult. Amiga. Amiga. Um, what? What? What's in the book? Is it a twelve hundred in the book? Uh, no, we've got five hundred. We've got five hundred in there. I think. Yeah, we've got five hundred in there. Five hundred in there. That's right. Yeah, we've got five. We've got an A one thousand as well. And yes, yes, I was going to say about you know, but you know, no, no, the A the A five hundred <laughs> was never was never orange. I mean, and again, Neil's got a green one. Well, see, this is the thing because when when we was when we was looking at this doing it, um, we did joke about about the fact that there's a lot of beige 
And I've joked about it since that there is a lot of beige in, in retro computers. Mm. And it was only really until later that, that like Apple brought out their colour range. And I think yeah. with the with the uh, the Next, they were black, weren't they? The Next was they black. Were. Yeah. Um, and I think there was a I think one a couple of the I think a couple of the IBM PC clones were grey. And I think there was a few different variants. But most of the machines were like sort of grades of beige really weren't they well that was a big joke with the g3 iMac with all the mm. colors and apple yeah. making a big deal of this is not your average yeah computer and they still look brilliant today i mean you know, they, yeah they look amazing I, I in fact i i think you know I, I would have one in here if i could if i could fit one in i i would uh i'd love one just to just to use as a monitor I and mean, i'm sure you can wire them up to all sorts of things well, people yeah. have, people have taken not necessarily the G3s, but I have seen people take the G4. You know the lamp stand. Mm, yeah, they've taken that, gutted all the old power PC guts out of it, sacrificed an M1 based Mac Mini, and turned the old lamp stand into an M1 powered oh, iMac. Okay. It looks incredible. Oh, that's cool. That's a great idea. I love that's it. That's a great idea. But I think they were genius. They were genius when they when they brought that when they brought them out with the colours because yeah. it, it just totally. You know, showed IBM PC and the clones as like these boring old boxes that nobody really wants to use because <laughs> these new Apple ones are amazing. And you of know. course, now every gaming PC on the planet has got more RGB <laughs> yeah, than, yeah, a Phil- than a Philips yeah. Hue showroom, you know. <laughs> uh, so, obviously, you mentioned uh, Critter, but I also noticed sort of in the description of, of the book as well, I believe you've used a few other products. One of them had been a bit of a favorite of mine, more so for the company. Mm. I think. A Correct me if I'm wrong, you used Affinity Publisher, I'm guessing, to do the actual yes. uh, page layout. Yes, I, I, um, I, I'm I, a recent user of uh, Convert to Affinity. I, I mean, I've not used uh, Photoshop for quite a few years now. Um, and the reason being is I'm not against anyone using Photoshop because, you no. know, it's fine. But I found that I used it uh, probably quite a bit about 15 years ago. And then when they started going to this subscription model... I thought, well, I don't really use it enough to warrant forking out money every month or, or if you pay. I just can't see the value in that for me, personally. No. So I even looked at sort of see if I can buy, like, a, a, a just buy a copy of the off of Adobe that I could then use as a, as a legitimate user afterwards. Yeah. Couldn't get hold of one. They wouldn't, it was like, no, no, we're subscription only. You can't, you know, we, with this is old software now, we can't sell it. It's like, well, hang on a minute, that's rubbish. Um so through that time, and I'd, I'd, I'd spent about seven years using Linux as a, as a, as a machine. I used, my main machine was Linux for about seven years. And I've, okay. I've, 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 I think about five, was it about five, six years ago, I went back to using Windows. Um, and uh, during that time, I'd used a lot of open source software on Linux. And I used Krita, uh, I used GIMP, uh, MyPaint. Inkscape. Yeah, Inkscape. Inkscape was great. I loved Inkscape. I still use it now, on and off. And I just found that a lot of this stuff is out there, but people don't tend to give it the, the time of day because they think, well, it's open source and it's free, so it can't be any good. Which, for some software, it probably is. But for a lot of it, they're updated all the time, yeah. you know. And the feedback you get from users is, is, is that, well, this is better than some of the commercial stuff because it's if something's broken, you just pull it in and it, somebody will fix it, you know. And I'm not saying it's the be all and end all for everything, but for me it worked, you know. And I, I went to, you know, I went to Critter, and then I sat on, I saw Affinity had a sale on, um, and I bought um, Affinity Designer yeah. when they had it on 50% off. 
And the reason I bought it is because it obviously it's a vector graphics software and it does bitmaps as well. I've been using Inkscape for some illustration work and I just got frustrated on how slow it would become. And I know that it's on their roadmap to fix. They're going to put new rendering stuff in it and that. But I thought, well, I can't, I can't wait, you know. And um, and this came out, and I tried it, and I think they did like a sixty-day trial, which is yeah, amazing. They were you know? really generous with their trials. And they've been really generous with their trials. And I tried it for sixty days and found that I really, really, really liked it. And it was quick. It was really quick. So I thought, right, well, okay. And when they did this fifty percent off, I thought it's just crazy not to buy. It. I think it's like. 25 quid or oh, something it's ridiculously cheap yeah yeah and i thought well that's just that's a no-brainer really so i bought it and i started using it so when we um uh, when we was thinking about doing this book or well, as before i started doing the book i i they did another sale and i thought well i'm going to buy the other two pieces of software i probably won't use the um the photo one much because i don't really tend to use but i know the publishing one i would probably use and i'd looked into it a little bit because I'd seen like videos on YouTube of people using it. I thought, that looks pretty cool. And I could see myself using that. Um, and the thing that got me was it does linked, in, linked image files. So for me, as an artist, I can create an image, export it, link it into, say, like a Affinity like publisher file. Mm. And then when I update it again later, it just updates automatically, which for me is just brilliant because I haven't got to mess around importing it in again or resizing it or applying light layer styles to it or anything like that. It just does it. So I bought it, and it just worked a treat for this book because, uh, for that very reason. And I brought, I mean, for instance, in the book you've got like the backgrounds, which is lots of little sort of discs or you know retro bits and pieces. And I drew probably about five or six variants of like a floppy disk for hmm. or, or cassettes or whatever at different angles. But Affinity was brilliant because I could bring it in, I could link the object in, clone it. And move it all about, and then I think actually that label don't look right, or maybe I want to put something on the label. I can try, and then they all change instantly, and I wouldn't have to muck around editing that file again. Um, oh, the symbols functionality is so powerful. Exactly. Yeah, it's brilliant. It's. I'm actually using it at the moment. I'm on a on a job at the moment. I'm doing a client job at the moment, and and I'm using the symbols for everything at the moment because it's just making my life a lot easier. And it just it just worked. But the other thing is because it's it's designed for print. I could crank the DPI right up, knowing that it's never going to be that high when it gets exported. But if we ever want to do a poster or mm. they want to do like you know something else later, I know that the, the images files are all in there at that high resolution, and the machine can handle it, the software can handle it. But I just found it's a really, really good bit of software, and the updates are fairly frequent as well, which I like. You know, and I've, uh, I've had designed now, I think, oh gosh, since... 20 i'm gonna say 2016 maybe a bit earlier oh right okay i've never had to pay for an update yeah see that appeals to me yeah Yeah. it is incredible it really is and i think more software companies need to do that they need to be more like that i think they need to be more uh to take care of their customers now if they if they release an update in like you know a year's time and say look we're going to be doing a major major update here uh if you're an existing we can you know we can do you an upgrade for like you know whatever and it's reasonable, then I would quite happy pay if it's something that's worthwhile. But I just find it really frustrating when you get companies just milk their user base all the time, and they're not really offering anything extra for that money. And it's like, well, you know, it's not really on, is it? (laughs) I I think, I mean, look, you know, Rogue Amoeba, um, who um, 
many people will know as the makers of Audio Hijack, which is um, doing a backup recording for this episode, um, they're just about to announce uh, Audio Hijack 4. They've already said there will be upgrade pricing. Mm. But again, Audio Hijack, the current version, I've had since, uh, I'm trying to think start the last podcast, say 2018, mm-hmm. and again, I've never paid for an upgrade. These are dead, you know, there are some great software houses out there. Now, before we sort of wrap up and mm. make sure you get plenty of opportunity to plug things on your <laughs> store and anything that you want to, I did have a sort of closing thought to ask you, and that is mm-hmm. obviously when we look at what the tools we've got now and the styles of art we've mm. got now, and the, you know, particularly maybe modern video games. I mean, look, you know, I'm not a huge gamer, um, but I do appreciate the hard work that seems to go into most modern games. I say seems to because some just feel sloppy. Mm-hmm. But do you think we've lost anything? Because we've got mm. better tools. Um, I think, see, the, the, it's quite interesting because when you look back at, say, I don't know, the 8-bit days where it was all new and fresh, and bear in mind, I mean, when I when I was at school, I was fortunate enough to be around when computers were, were, were something that no one really knew what they were for. You know, it's like, oh, there's this this machine. What do you use it for? I don't know. It's like, you know, <laughs> uh, homework? Yeah, that's a good thing, homework. But it plays games. It plays games, does it? Oh, okay, right. And then you'd end up seeing it playing games. And then people, kids would get them in their bedrooms and for Christmas or birthdays. And they'd think, right, I'll code some games on this. And don't worry about the homework. I'll do that later. <laughs> you know? um, and but it was this, this sense of wonder, this sense of like... What what's what what is this strange machine with a keyboard? What's inside these chips inside? What is this to do? You know, how, how does it work? And it was this intrigue that 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 I certainly had, and I know many others had of that generation. And I think that did carry on all the way through to the Amiga days. And then all of a sudden, something happened. We got to the point where PCs and were, were the main sort of machine that you'd use for for you know for gaming at, you know on computers. And then you'd have engines appear, and then you'd have like you know all these other things appear, and then it kind of became not so much of an interest. It was more like of a job. And I'm not saying that 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 you know there are plenty and plenty of people writing games because they want to write games, but I think the generations that that grew up, you know, writing games from an early age, that demographic from that age group is kind of like is is not so much there anymore. You know, obviously there are going to be kids who go to school and they want to write games for a living. There'll always be kids who want to write games for a living, but the the, the number of them I think is 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 not the same as it was comparatively to to now. And I think the 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 fact that you can I don't know download a, a game a game sort of programming system and you can have all these templates already there for you um, kind of takes away a lot of the fun. Um, yeah. But I think with the, I mean, the amount of information available today is phenomenal. You know, I mean, you can type anything into a search engine, and you get the answers that you want most of the time. Whether it's a bit of code, how to do a, uh, how to use a piece of software, learn a language, whatever you want to do. You know, fix your car. You know, wallpaper or something, or build a wall. Anything you want to do, it's there. Back then, you had to really hunt and, and track down that information. And when you got that information, you, you made sure you used it, you know. I mean, when I started programming, you know, there was no books. There was the odd book you'd get from the library, which is usually about six months out of date or a year out of date. Um, and and it was literally like, well, I'll just trial and error and see how, I can, how this works. So I think with software, in some respects, you know, the software is an awful lot better now, you know, because mm. the system's a lot better. 
Uh, I'm one good example. When I was at the cave on Sunday, uh, Mark had put on. Um, he spent a lot of time setting up uh, their multi-system, you know, their FPJ oh, multi-system, yeah. which is a fantastic device. I have to say, so oh, good. God, so it is awesome. It is a really, really good bit of kit. Uh, and he put the Amiga core on it. And we had D-Paint running, and I'd given him some of my old, my old work files, and he put them on there. And I'd forgotten how to use D-Paint, right? And I think, oh, how do I remap the colours? How do I do this? But then I realised that it had hardly any functions. It was so stripped down from what i remember but my perception was that this was an all singing all dancing application but looking at it from you know in, from 2022 back to the 90s i realized actually it wasn't it really wasn't as feature rich as i thought no. but because we didn't know any different back then it it was new i can remember it from the impact it had on me because i'd never seen anything like it before um, i mean today i use a software called promotion by cosmigo uh, and that is like the modern day version of D-Paint, but it's like streets ahead of what D-Paint can do, you know, and I use it all the time. It's brilliant. But you look at the functions that that software's got compared to, say, D-Paint, and there is just no comparison. It does so much more. Um, so in many ways, the tools that we have today are far more advanced than what we had back then. But then, but then the it's hard to explain. I think the... The um, the source of inspiration or the the drive to be different has gone for a lot of people. Yeah. I think, or for a lot, of, it, it, well, if if it is there, it isn't evident in the things that we're seeing. You know, I think you, I think you've hit the nail on the head there because you just, I mean, you know, sort of linking back to cannon fodder. Just out of interest, by the way, obviously you mentioned um, earlier the micro. Was it micro live? You... Oh, Micro Live, yeah, BBC Micro Live, yes. So you would have been, would it be fair to say you would have been around for the whole computers and education program that really mm. kicked off in the 80s? Yeah, I, yeah. yeah. Um, there's a wonderful um, book and there's an audio book called, Elect- I think it's called uh, Electronic Dreams. It's the story of those early days. It's oh, okay. A wonderful. Now, somebody put the computer program, I, I'll find a link and I'll put it in yeah. to the show notes, but somebody put all the episodes of the computer program up on one of the archive sites. And just oh. watching that back is is incredible. <laughs> um, you know, mostly because I'm, you know, my primary school. Um, I'm sure my age a little bit here, but my primary school we had BBC Masters. My yeah. high school we had Acorn Archimedes, and yeah. just for those youngsters amongst you, the Acorn Archimedes, you owe your iPhone and your Android and pretty much every other mm. bit of tech out there. You owe that existence, their existence, to those machines because yeah, totally. ARM stood for acorn wrist machine yeah but going back to sort of the cannon fodder link i just think of the almost the, the copy paste call of duty games these days mm, yeah Look, if you're yeah. a call of duty fan i'm not saying you know anyone listen i'm not saying that you're wrong for being so but i just don't see the inspiration in those games oh let's add this new gun that's got twenty five thousand more stopping power um, i don't mm. pretend to understand guns so that's and I don't play Call of Duty games. I mean, I'm so I'm playing a game at the moment that I got with a bundle uh, that was designed to support the um, the people of Ukraine. And it's called oh, right. that's like a huge bundle, wasn't it? That was massive. What was that like ten dollars? I know it's crazy. It's crazy. Well, there's a game in there called Sky Rogue, and right. it's a wonderful sort of uh, fight uh, uh, fighter jet game. But the graphics are all pixel shaded, and that is an example of genuine creativity. It yeah. doesn't have to be RTX on; mm. it just—it's so good. 
I think I think the, the other thing which is um, I just thought of is that when you think like back back to sort of the earlier days, pixel art was all it was, and it wasn't even known as pixel art. I mean, pixel art is a relatively new term, really, for it. I mean, I would never have said pixel art back then because it, that was it was just graphics. It was just you know just just graphics. That's what I knew it as, or mm. computer graphics. And I think now pixel art has become its own art form. You know, it's taken on its own its own kind of like genre of art, um, which people do. But see, I'm I'm I get a bit. <laughs> I used to get really precious back in the day because I I I always anti-alias all my pixels and I always make things look really smooth because that goes back to my influences from the arcade where course, yeah. I'd be looking at CRTs where it anti-aliased it for you. <laughs> but, <laughs> but I would look at all the palettes. Well, having said that, I mean the machines back then had had more palettes than than what the home computers had. You had more colours. Mm. But I'd often, you know, that was my inspiration. So whenever I did anything on the Amiga, I would always make sure the pixels were aliased and it was all smooth and I could make it as really as good as I could. And I used to get right, like, frustrated when I'd see pixel games and I think they'd like, you know, like Amiga games. And they didn't bother to anti-alias anything and all the ed- edges were all jagged. I think, that's rubbish, you know, which is wrong of me now because it's now an art style. And I, I you know, but back then I was like, no, that's, that can't, how can they say that's finished? It don't look finished. Um, but when you look at the games today, there are so many titles coming out where it is like just very, very simple pixel art, yeah, you know. I think and like there Celeste is, no... is a good example. Yeah, I mean, there's this, and, and it's the thing, I mean, but having said that, there's also some very, very, very good pixel artists out there, you know. I mean, I've, I've, I've you know, I've seen quite a few, like when I, when I look at my social media feed and sometimes you get somebody repost something or retweet something. I think, wow, that's amazing. These people, you know, some of these skills that some of these artists have got with the pixels. And it's nice to see the art form hasn't kind of died. It's still very, very strong and alive, um, despite all this, you know, mega technology we've got now with 3D rendering and the full illustration software that we've got at our disposal. There are still people quite happy to put in the hours and spend the time creating pixel art of a high quality, you know. Uh, and I think that's 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 great. It's great to see. Yeah. Can we can we say one? Can we just say one thing though? Hmm. Taking a photograph and running the pixelate filter in uh, Photoshop is not pixel art. <laughs> <laughs> That's so true. Actually, actually, there's a thing about Photoshop because I, I I cannot get my head around anybody using Photoshop to do pixel art. Don't. And I've seen people do it. I've seen people do it. I've seen videos of people drawing pixel art, uh, and I, and you know, and I'm thinking. That's just crazy. How can you sit there and draw pixel art with, with Photoshop, you know, to the level that I would expect to be good quality pixel art? But I might be wrong, you know. No, I agree with you. And I I, I mean, just sort of my final thought is I, I also don't understand anyone using Photoshop for proper vector work because that's what mm. Illustrator's for. Yeah. Anyway, let's let's not go down. Like, we'll be here for hours. <laughs> That's so, another episode, isn't it? Absolutely, <laughs> That's another episode. <laughs> um, so, Stu, thank you so much for taking the time out of your That's evening right. to come and join me. Um, let's do the obligatory plugs because there's a lot for you to promote at the moment. Um, oh my some word! Of it your yes. own stuff. Some of it we need. We, yeah. I think Neil would kill me if I didn't at least tell people where, or get you to tell people where we can go and get the book. Well, the book is available at uh, rmc.store. Uh, if you want to go and get that, or you can go to 
to Neil's channel at Retro Man. No, it's not Retro Man. It's RMC on yep. YouTube. Uh, RMC The Cave. It's available there. I think it's you can get it in both versions. I think you can get the PDF and the uh, the full the full shebang with the printed version. Which is, I mean, I think if you can get both, it's great because then you can get the uh, the printed version and keep that nice and look at you know look at just look through the pages. It's really nice. And then you can print out as many pages as you like and colour to your heart's content with the with the PDF version, which I which I think is probably the best idea they, they had when I was doing it. I wasn't too sure at first. I thought, hmm, but I thought, no, that's a good idea because it means that uh, you can preserve the printed one and then you yeah. can just print, 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 print and, and colour, 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 colour and <laughs> just keep going. Absolutely. Because um, I'm using Procreate yeah. to colour mine in and it's yeah. taught me a lot about Procreate, if nothing else. Yeah, it's great. I mean, I, I mean, I've used, I've used that, and I think it's an amazing bit of kit that is what they've put on the, on the iPad. It's a brilliant bit of software. Um, other things I'm doing, I have been really, really busy of late, and I'm, I don't understand because I was trying to take it a bit easier, but it hasn't really happened. <laughs> um, yeah, I set up a um, in 2020. Um, I I because of all the things that were going on in the world, a few of the jobs I had lined up were cancelled. And I've always wanted to set up a little shop for, for me to sell art, you know, uh, not not to sort of, you know, take over the world or anything like that. But just 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 to just to have a, 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 an outlet for art that I produce independently of any projects I'm on. And I thought, well, I'm going to set up a shop, which was a bit of a stupid thing to say when you've never set up a shop before. Um so I taught myself all about e-commerce shops and and uh, and I had a WordPress blog which was stewcambridge.com, um, which I which I kind of fudged together and even that was a bit of a bodge because it was a WordPress and I didn't realise when you do WordPress you're supposed to do a child theme, so I hacked all the CSS in my in this theme that I'd bought and totally bodged it. And now, when I come back to use it, I'm thinking, actually, I can't update that bit because it's been bodged too much. So I'm in the process of redeveloping my Stu Cambridge. Anyway, I digress. I go off at a tangent there. Um, so anyway, I set up this this uh, this shop called the thedesigndroid.co.uk. And uh, prim- primarily, it was just so I could sell a few canvas prints of my work. Um, and with a view to having posters and perhaps the odd mouse mat and maybe the odd mug later on. Um but it's just been a brilliant, brilliant thing to do. I mean, I've had so much fun doing it. And it's. But the best thing is when people have bought something and then they post pictures or they give me feedback. And I, I just think it's amazing that people are, you know, they, 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 they take the time to, when they order it, they think the art's good enough and they like what I'm selling. But when they put the stuff out up there and you think, that's brilliant. I love it. I love seeing people, you know, when they put the pictures up in their, in their you know, in their offices or their, their gaming rooms. And knowing that they've chosen my art yeah. rather than somebody else's, it's just a real buzz, you know. And I love it. Um, but I'm hoping to hoping to put some more products up up there soon. But uh, but doing that, and what else I've been doing? Uh, I've also been writing for a Mega Addict as well, which I'm in, in there, um, which is a great publication. They've mm. just hit the um, news agents, haven't they? I believe uh, they just... have. Yes, yes, which they is have. Which is so brilliant. surreal yeah. to have an Amiga yeah. magazine back in the news. Agents. I know, I know, I know. And I was, I was seeing me mate Chris Wilkins. You know, does the uh, retro fusion or the retro mm-hmm. like Zap and Crash, and they've got them in the in the news agents as well, which is brilliant. So I'm going to be writing for Zap Amiga as well soon. Um, writing an article for them every every sort of hopefully every issue if I can get the time. Um, so I've been really busy with that, and 
Yeah, it's really good. And I've also been writing a biography on and off for the last four years or so. Um, so I'm trying to do something a little bit different where I kind of do a, a proper biography, but also put in lots of like pictures and yeah. and stuff of interest, you know. Um, so I'm hoping to get that finished when it's finished. <laughs> so, but it's proved difficult at the moment because I've been so busy, you know, I've been so busy. And of course, all the stuff with around the RMC stuff with Neil. I mean, that's... Uh, you know, that's been a lot of fun, and uh, they're a really good bunch of guys at, at RMC. They really are. Um, they really are great guys. And uh, but I need to I need to draw some more work for the for the for the shop because uh, I've had the same products on there for the last twelve months or so, and I think people are going, you ain't got much on there. <laughs> it's, it's the same old things on there. He, ain't some, he hasn't put anything else up there yet. <laughs> well, I have to say, as I said to you in pre-show, the. Um, the um a500 with the disc and mm. the cannon fodder background that is if anyone who is you know potentially wanting to buy me a birthday present later this year is listening <laughs> you know where to go and, and buy that i'll say the other thing is i do is a pixel portraits as well which is another thing which i've sold quite a few of those which people Ooh. are quite good they like enjoy those um they're quite nice can people sort of get in touch to get? A yeah, they're on the actually on the on the website. If you go to the designdraw.co.uk, um, I've got a pixel portrait section, and you can um, order one through the website. Um, and I've, I'm, at the moment, I'm offering them in into in canvas sizes as well. If you want a canvas print of your portrait once it's finished, and that's up to twelve inch by twelve inch or ten or eight inch. Um, and a ver- various backgrounds from Amiga 64 or just plain. Um, I do intend to introduce other machines in the backgrounds as well. Um, but if you order one from there, all you need to do is upload your photos once you've ordered, or just drop me an email if you're not sure, and uh, I'll you know I'll be in touch and uh, we'll arrange a time from for me to do it. And uh, and but I've done quite a few of those. And and again, they're another thing which I really really enjoy doing because people just that it's just it's just those things where you, you're drawing somebody. And you're trying to get them in this this really low resolution, and then for somehow I managed to do it. And I don't understand how it works, but I kind of just have the photo next to me, and I just draw the pixels looking at the photo, and also it something clicks, and it's like that's the person, you know, and it just appears, and then I just refine it, and then next you know it's finished, and uh, people seem to like them, which is good. So yeah, so that's another thing. So thank you ever so much, everyone, for listening. Uh, you can find my show notes for this episode at crosswires.net. Make sure you check out my YouTube channel at crosswires.net forward slash YouTube. Follow us on Twitter at crosswiresmg. And again, thank you, Steve, so much for your time. It's been an absolute pleasure. Oh, it's been my pleasure. Thank you very much for having me on. I've enjoyed it lots and lots and lots and lots. <laughs> and please have me back again, because uh, I'm sure we could chat for another hour at least. <laughs> oh, absolutely. I'm, I'm working my way through through all the <laughs> RMCers at the moment. I'm just trying to build up the courage to... Eventually, I'll get the courage to ask Neil... Um, if, if he has the time so we shall see he may have the time he, he's a very he's a rather busy chap he he's is. a rather busy chap he doesn't stop you know when was it Sunday he just he's on the go all the time 